fans, bettors, and cappers, and welcome to the Daily Competitive Hedge Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Cotterell, and this morning show is all about sports and the world of betting. We talk about a few results from yesterday's games, including our bets, and then we get into the headlines of the day, talking about what games are on today, and then which games we like early on on the slate. These will be our Hedge 5 games that we like, and we'll wait closer to to bet. So, Our episode today is brought to you by our sponsor, Bet99. Bet99 is a Canadian sportsbook and casino that offers in-play betting, player props, a cash-out option, and many, many more great products. There's a variety of sports available to bet on the website, and Bet99 works smoothly on both desktop and mobile. The mobile app can be downloaded from the homepage of the website. Depositing and withdrawing funds is hassle-free with a number of well-known methods available to use so you know your money is safe and secure. The site's also available in both English and French, and customer service is available 24-7 on their live chat option. So go to Bet99 today to make an account. You must be 19-plus years of age. Please gamble responsibly, and let's get into the show. So yesterday's recap. Wasn't a great day as far as our bets go. Um, we went one and two for the competitive hedge parlay. Uh, one and four overall for talking about the five plays that we liked. But we only ended up betting three of them. And those three were we liked the Nationals and Mets over eight. That one cashed it seven to three. We had the Giants outright over the Dodgers. They lose eight to two. And then the Rangers run line. They lose outright seven to two. So tough day for a couple of heavy favorites. Then player props-wise, we did get the Scherzer under 6.5Ks at plus 118. That was posted over on our Twitter account. John Gray, over 6.5. He missed big time, got pulled early on. And then Marcus Simeon goes 0 for 4 at the plate as well to double down on the Rangers player losses. Now, when we talk about the day that was and how those games went, it was basically just baseball yesterday. Um, We highlighted that on the show Yesterday, we did have the Reds 3-1 to over the Marlins. Then you had the Yankees win 7-2 to over the Mariners. You had the Guardians 6-5 to over the Diamondbacks. You had the Twins 5-3 to over the Tigers. Then you also had the Royals winning 2-1 to over the White Sox on the road. And the Red Sox winning outright over the Astros 3-2. to And then to cap it off, the Padres 4-1 to over the Rockies, plus those results that we mentioned earlier. The only other game that really happened yesterday would have been English Championship Soccer that was noteworthy, which Watford won 1-0. Now, MLB trade deadline was yesterday, and there was a lot of moves made. The Milwaukee Brewers, this was the big one of the day, sending Josh Hader to the San Diego Padres for four players. People thought this one was a little bit surprising given Milwaukee being in first place. They felt like the Brewers mailed it in, but Hader, 
is due a pretty sizable contract, and I don't think the Brewers were prepared to pay him. So they got the return that they could for him. So they get a couple prospects and a couple pitchers in return. The Astros landed first baseman Trey Mancini in a three-player deal. Boston sent Christian Vasquez to Houston and got two prospects back. You had St. Louis, who acquired Jose Quinta from the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Yankees got Frankie Montes and Lou Trevino and sent four players back to Oakland. The, then Boston, in return, got Tommy Pham from the Cincinnati Reds. And then a couple of major extensions. You had Austin Riley got locked up by the Braves. Ten years, $212 million. Absolutely love that contract. Riley's playing great right now, and at just over $21 million a year, I think that's a great contract for the Braves, who also underpaid Ronald Acuna. And so they've got a couple of stars locked up on some friendly deals. And then you had Joe Musgrove extended a five-year, $100 million deal with the San Diego Padres. And so they get one of their pitchers there long-term. Otani, it looks like, is staying with the Angels. Juan Soto, still unsure whether he's going to be leaving or not, but it looks like he might be staying put with the Nationals in the meantime. The NBA is investigating the New York Knicks for tampering regarding Jalen Brunson. I think this is more common than people like to believe um, amongst pretty much every NBA team. It's just the teams that are maybe a little bit louder of who they're pursuing that tend to get punished. And so we could see the Knicks lose some draft picks over this, but I think they're just happy that they got their point guard. We'll see if he can live up to that contract. And then Deshaun Watson got six games from the NFL disciplinary officer uh six game suspension now the nfl and the nflpa have three days to appeal i mean in total you're looking at 24 lawsuits here and watson settled 20 of the 24 i do hope the nfl takes a hard look at this and imposes a stricter sentence gambling is a year i understand why they have that they don't want players betting on games but to for watson to have all of these uh issues and not uh not have him suspended longer than half a year, I think is a little bit surprising. So I'm not a big fan of it. And hopefully we see some justice moving forward. Now let's talk bets today. Uh, we do have quite a loaded slate for you here today. As far as MLB and WNBA goes, uh, those are the main sports that we're focusing on today. There's an afternoon game between the Rockies and Padres afternoon where I live on the East coast. It's 410 is first pitch. You got you Darvish going for the Padres taken on Feltner for the Rockies. I would imagine a lot of people are on Padres money line in parlays, but also the run line. I saw minus 120 for that one this morning. Then you got the Marlins who are minus 135 versus the Reds. I like Miami. We'll see if they make it into the hedge five, but I think that's a great value play there. Then you have the Mets minus 300 with DeGrom going taken on Abbott for the Nationals. Everyone was on the Mets yesterday, made me a little bit concerned, but they pulled through seven to three. Now, if you want to take the run line today, minus two and a half is minus 110. So if you're feeling a little bit friskier, then that might be one to pursue. Then you got the Yankees minus 165 versus the Mariners. Mariners got Gilbert going while the Yankees have Tayon. I'm imagining a lot of people will be on Yankees here. Then you have the Brewers minus 270 versus the Pirates. Anytime you've got Corbin Burns going, they're going to be a heavy favorite. And they're taking on Wilson, who's 1-6 with a 6.31 ERA. The Jays are minus 135 versus the Rays on the road, but it's because they've got Kevin Gossman going. He's taking on Rasmussen. I like, actually, the over 7 in that game. 
Uh, won't be making it into the hedge five plays, but it is one that I'll be monitoring throughout the day. Maybe see if it dips to six and a half, but I think it's more likely to move to seven and a half. So I might have to get it there at seven. Then you've got the Guardians minus 135 versus the Diamondbacks. You've got McKenzie going, who's been on a bit of a roll there for the Guardians, taking on Zach Gallen for the Diamondbacks. Could be a road upset there with Gallen going. We'll wait and see on that one later today. Then you've got Strider pitching for the Braves. They're minus 240 versus the Phillies, who have Nelson going. Don't love that value. I don't love taking the run line there. So we might stay away from that game. The Twins minus 190 versus the Tigers. You've got Archer pitching against Manning. I do like Manning a little bit more in that matchup, but I'm staying away from that game. I can't trust the Tigers and take them on the road. The Cardinals are minus 175 versus the Cubs. You got Wainwright going against Thompson. Again, a game I'm staying away from, but one that I might monitor to see uh, where that total ends up. The Rangers minus 125 versus the Orioles. The Rangers burned us yesterday. It's going to be tough to back them today, but we'll see if they make it into our slate or if we're going with the Orioles to win back-to-back. Javier pitching for the Astros against Boston, who have Crawford going. Javier has the massive advantage here. That's why the Astros are minus 200, but Boston upset them last night. So we'll see if we have that in our card. White Sox minus 175 versus the Royals. Anytime you've got Giolito going, he may be 6-6 six and six with a 5.14 ERA, but I think he's due for a good start. He's taking on Keller, who's 5-11 and 11 on the year. Might be a parlay piece somewhere, but minus 175. I don't love that from a straight-up betting perspective. Then you've got Irvin pitching for the A's. They are underdogs against the Angels, who have Noah Syndergaard. Supposed to go 5-8 and eight with a 3.83 ERA. Sounds like Syndergaard's also been in trade talks. Um, Toronto, one of the teams being involved. So this might be his last pitching matchup for uh, the A's or for the Angels. But I don't know. He might even get traded before then, so we may not even see him pitch today. Dodgers minus 140 versus the Giants. We got burned last night. You got Anderson pitching, who's 11-1, taking on Alex Wood, who is 4-1. and who has a 4.11 ERA. We'll wait and see on that game. And then to cap it off, Rockies Padres, once again, Urena taking on Cooner. Um, I don't think I'm going to be betting that game, just not one that I love in the later slate. Then WNBA-wise, we've got Phoenix Mercury taking on the Connecticut Sun tonight. Um, Connecticut's clearly the better team. Uh, Not sure if I love that spread, though. Might wait a little bit closer, too. Um, nine and a half is a lot of points in the WNBA. So may look at the over under 167 and a half. Then you've got the Liberty who are minus four and a half versus the Sparks today. Again, the Liberty are so inconsistent. And if Ionescu isn't going, then I could see the Sparks upsetting even at plus 155. So might stay away there. You got the Aces and Mystics, two very good teams. The Aces are minus two and a half on the road. Not sure if I love taking a road favorite, but I do like that over-under total. And then the Chicago Sky versus the Dallas Wings, they're minus 7.5. Last time these teams played, the Sky won by 6, and so I think we could see a pretty entertaining game there. Now, we're going to get into our hedge five that we love today, the early hedge five. These are the five early plays that we will confirm three of them later on for our parlay of the day. Um, so just keep an eye on these betting lines. If you see them start to move and you like them, then maybe go ahead and bet them straight up. But these are the five plays that we're monitoring early on today. 
So Chicago Sky minus seven and a half versus the Dallas Wings going right back to the WNBA. The Sky are the best team in the East. Uh, they've won eight of their last 10 games. The Wings have been sliding a bit. They've won just four of their last 10. As I said, Chicago won by six. It took a little bit of a charge from Dallas in order to cover that. I think the Sky cover it today. I think they win by double digits, so I'm taking Chicago there. Then the Aces versus the Mystics over 165 and a half. The Aces have missed their last couple overs, but it's because the other teams have let them down, and it's mostly because they played Indiana, who's not a great team. Washington's a much better team. They're looking to make a statement that they can beat one of the best teams in the league. So I think we have a high-scoring affair here. I think it's going to be very close down the stretch as well. Could even see overtime in this game, which would be great for an over. Then I like the Marlins' money line versus Cincinnati. Minus 130 last night, minus 135 now. Braxton Garrett going. Um, He may have a worse record than Graham Ashcroft, but he's definitely not the worst pitcher in this matchup. Um, Miami is at home. They've lost four straight. They lost four to one yesterday. I think this is a good opportunity to right the ship here today. We're going back to the San Francisco Giants well, and this is the tough part about betting MLB, especially since it's every single day, is that you kind of have to take your licks and then maybe prepare for the next day. I do like Alex Wood. I think he's going to pitch well today. The big thing is Tyler Anderson does have that 11-1 and record. Um, the Dodgers embarrassed them last night, though. I think they're going to bounce back today at home and try and win this game, and I think they will do so. And then the last play for today, we're going with the Baltimore Orioles over the Texas Rangers. The money line there, Orioles are plus 105. I like them to go back-to-back, especially with Miles or Lyles on the mound, who's 7-8 and eight on the year with a 4.56 ERA. He does tend to be one of their better pitchers. He's taken on Spencer Howard who's got a 5.93 ERA, so he's not exactly a stud on the other side. So those are our five plays that we like. Uh, We will post later on today the parlay, the daily three-team parlay that we put out there, and we'll see if we can win you guys some money. We also put player props over on our social media accounts at HedgePod. So thank you, everyone, who tunes into our live show every single day. Um, We are also starting our NFL previews. It began yesterday. These are strictly audio only versions of the show so go and check us out on apple spotify and uh anywhere else that you get your podcasts we talk with special guests we talk fantasy football betting football in general and so we do a different team every single day yesterday it was the cardinals when you hear this audio later today you'll be listening to the atlanta falcons we had jelani brown on a great friend of the show and a passionate falcons fan We talk about that over under four and a half win total, whether we like it or not, or whether the Falcons are going to struggle. And so we also have EPL coming up this weekend. Tomorrow, we're going to preview some golf as well. We do have the Wyndham Championship this week. And so thank you, everyone. And we'll see you tomorrow for the Daily Competitive Hedge Podcast. Welcome back to the Competitive Hedge Podcast. This is part two of our episode here. It is August 2nd, which means our second NFL team preview is upon us yesterday it was all about the arizona cardinals today we're staying in the nfc focusing on those atlanta falcons now i could not do this team preview all alone and so today i am joined by a good friend of the show he's a member of off the ball network jelani brown he's the host of the what the game means to me podcast he's a developmental basketball coach to the suwanee sports academy but most importantly he's a passionate atlanta falcons (laughs) fan 
he told me last year that they were going to beat the Cowboys, and uh, I'm assuming they're <laughs> on the schedule this year, but we look forward to that Thank next God. match, if I'm sure. So, Jelani, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well, as always. Appreciate you for having me on the show. Um, we always have a good time when we link up, whether it's you on mine or mine or me on yours. So, definitely glad to be a part of this and um, talk about my, uh, you know, Atlanta Falcons this year. I've already told that and a few others. Like, this is a stress-free year for me. I have no expectations. I know we're gonna get into that a little bit later, but I'm just having fun with it this year. I'm gonna just see what see what happens. Every win is a victory this coming season, I think, for the Falcons. <laughs> and we'll talk more about the betting lines in a second here. But we are coming off a of Falcons year in 2021. Season was I guess you could call it a little bit of a disappointment. You did have Calvin Ridley, obviously, with the suspension. Now we're not gonna see him this year. Uh, then in the offseason, we also saw the team move on from Matt Ryan, the longtime QB there in Atlanta, and they went out and drafted a quarterback and brought in a veteran as well. And we're going to touch on that situation. But Jelani, what were your initial thoughts of the Falcons, what they look like heading into this season as well? So, of course, uh, the Deshaun Watson fiasco, you know, <laughs> the, the the trade that never was the, oh, we have them and then magically the Browns come and swoop in and get them. I already knew this was a recipe for disaster. Obviously you never want to, you know, put your quarterback of what, how many 14, I want to say 14, 15 years um, in a position like that to where he doesn't feel wanted. Um, and of course, from that result of us not getting him, I already knew he was out the door. Um, like you said, Calvin really suspension what happened maybe a, two weeks prior or something like that. So um, and we already were kind of in rebuilding mode, obviously, um, you know, coming off another losing season, another season we you know missed the playoffs um, and another season we probably would lose some you know key guys that we had brought in um, from free agency a few years ago. So didn't really know what to expect at that point, at, especially after the, the Deshaun Watson thing. And then we you know had to trade Matt. It was really no direction. I had no clue what direction we really was going to go in. Most, you know, most people had rumblings that we would bring in Marcus Mariota, obviously, with that connection with Arthur Smith. Um, knowing the offense and everything. Um, but really, I just knew it was you know, building from the ground up, which we probably needed for a while now, um, being that we gave about so much money, so many different contracts and so many people, and we're just in a stagnant position. So maybe it was a blessing in disguise, but just not the way you want to go out and you know see your team that you've rooted for so long, especially a quarterback that you've you know favored and, and loved for so long, have to go out that way. So just kind of feel like we're, you know, starting from ground one um, and it you know, maybe new light here in Atlanta, hopefully with some cornerstones and Drake London, Kyle Pitts and, you know, a few other guys we'll probably talk about later. Definitely. Yeah, I do think that it was an interesting offseason for the Falcons. Obviously, when you lose out on a guy like a Deshaun Watson, then you have to go to to plan B and plan B was Marcus Mariota, who is a guy that has been a franchise quarterback before, was replaced by Ryan Tannehill there in Tennessee, found his way to the Raiders for a little bit there, backed up Derek Carr, but now he's there in Atlanta. But this is not a job that he may necessarily hold for the entire year because we mm -hmm. also saw the Falcons in the draft. They went out in the third round and they drafted Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati. So as of right now, they got Mariota as mm -hmm. the first on the depth chart, according to ESPN. It looks like he's going to be the week one starter. But yeah. what are your expectations for Mariota? Is he going to start week one? And if so, is he going to last the full season? Do you think the Falcons at some point want to take a look at Ritter? Obviously, if you're using third round draft capital on a QB, mm -hmm. you might want to see what he has. So what do you think is going to happen at the quarterback position for Atlanta this year? Yeah, so, I, um, you know, it, it has been confirmed that Marcus Mario would be the week one starter. I think they confirmed that last week. Um, 
obviously going into camp, you know, that was pretty much that's the main you know, battle everyone's kind of looking at. Um, they said Marcus Mariota has looked, you know, obviously being you know a veteran and you know being familiar with the you know the playbook and Arthur Smith has been a little bit, you know, more up to speed, um, processing is a little bit quicker. Um, but obviously that's no knock on Ritter, like you're a rookie coming in, you know, some of those things you have to learn. Um and, and have to get adjusted to. So he is going to be week one starter. I do expect kind of like how I expect our season to go. You know, Marcus Mario maybe has a few games here and there. Probably doesn't last all the way through. He has a you know obviously a big history of injuries. Hasn't I don't play don't think has played a full season yet. I think his best season may have been 2016 when he played 15. I want to say games. Um, obviously just short of you know 16, but still hasn't played a full season. Has injury history. Um, and you know. Just don't think he will fully last. Given our some of it might not even be his fault. Like our offensive line is god awful. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> it's still in, you know, in restructure mode. We have a few bright spots with Lindstrom and um, obviously Jake Matthews, our you know longest tenured lineman there right now. Um, you know, but there's still a few holes that we have to fill in. There's a few you know battles for um, those offensive line positions uh, coming into camp even this year. So um, I, I don't expect him to really hold up the entire season. And I also expect him whether you know our line is good or not for him to have a little bit of a shaky start you know we've seen you know kind of what Marcus Mariota can do whether you know he has a fully healthy team or not like I said his best year was six years ago with uh I think at 95 QBR 26 and nine um touchdown to interception ratio and like 34 3500 yards so that's the best we've seen of him and that was a, a while ago so you know he's shown and proven like he can be an okay or a capable you know, quarterback, but he's not your long-term solution. So like you said, third round capital, definitely expect them to take some type of look at Ritter. And I've also heard that they have some, you know, plays, playbook, you know, plays in the playbook for him. So who knows, maybe he gets a package or two, um, you know, every game or so. And honestly, I expect him probably to come in, like I said, depending on how our season is going, which most of us all think is going to be pretty, you know, sugar honey iced tea i don't know if i can cuss on this show so um it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty bad i expect you know ritter to probably see some action around weeks somewhere six to eight yeah and i think what's concerning especially is the schedule early on like they don't play a lot of Mm -hmm. great offenses but they do play good defenses which could cause Mm -hmm. some issues because you open with the saints Mm -hmm. we've seen the saints give a lot of teams issues and you play the defending super bowl champs week two Yep. Seattle doesn't have the defense. That's kind of one of those games that you would circle on the schedule. Like if mm-hmm. we're going to get some wins, that's one that you would have. You got the Browns defense, Bucks defense, 49ers defense. Mm-hmm. So that takes you to week six. And if you're Atlanta, you're maybe hovering around one and five, two and four. Mm-hmm. And then you start seeing Bengals after that. It could be a situation where you see Ritter start to play. And who knows, as you said, Mariota has got the injury history and that's concerning when you're going to be playing a lot of good pass rushes, especially that mm-hmm. that's the concerning part when you're talking about a bad O-line. So I do think that we will see Ritter at some point this year. As you said, there's some packages there. We might see him, you know, in on a play or two here and there. But I do think he's going to get some QB1 snaps for this mm-hmm. team at some point. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. As you said, Atlanta, they're building from the ground up. And so it's not a bad thing to then go to like, we're not expecting the Falcons to make the playoffs this year. And we'll talk about the betting odds on those in a little (laughs) bit. But the other key point I would say for Atlanta this year, like we know that you have some good guys on the defensive side, like AJ Terrell, but you also brought in a guy early in last year's draft in Kyle Pitts. And, you know, the big question mark is, is he going to take that next step this year? Now, part of that could be 
well, does he not take the next step because he doesn't have the quarterback? Does he take the next step because you've got no Calvin Ridley? Your number one receiving option is Drake London at this point from mm -hmm. uh, the rookie that you have there. So what are your expectations for Pitts this year? We're, we're going to talk about his fantasy value in a little bit because he's mm -hmm. being very highly ranked right out of the gate. So what are your expectations for Pitts in this offense this year? Yeah, so, I mean, what he, he eclipsed, he barely did it, but he eclipsed over 1,000 yards last year, obviously only one touchdown. Hopefully he, you know, tags on a, little, a few more of those this upcoming year. But, you know, he, he played his part. He did well. He came in, you know, played all, I believe, all 16 games um, or 17 games since it was, you know, extra one last year. But, you know, I just honestly expect for him to do what he said he wanted to do. He wanted to come into this season a little bit stronger, a little bit faster, um, a little bit bigger. And he's more keen on the offense and knows, like, kind of his role and what he, you know, can bring to the squad. And obviously, last year, it was pretty tough on him being that most of the year he was the number one target. Even coming into the year, you know, he was highly stouted, highly rated because we picked him so high. He was, uh, you know, a big target. Um, a big target was on his back, even with having Calvin Ridley. Um, but obviously, Calvin Ridley, you know, went down, went out, you know, with, uh, you know, personal issues, family issues. Um, you know, didn't come back for the rest of the year. And at times, our best receiver was Alameda Zacchaeus, you know, most people don't know that name like at all it's not a household <laughs> name so uh obviously he saw a lot of attentions which you know, you know took a lot away from him anyway but he still had some big games even through you know through those weeks where he was that number one target anyway so this year coming in drake london um from what i've seen and what i've heard in camp has you know surprised and shocked a lot of people um you know obviously being the first you know receiver taken off the board uh he is a physical specimen six four um can run um can catch obviously like he, he's he's a pretty big guy so um he may be able to take some attention off of kyle pitts um it's a few other you know bigger receivers that we brought in obviously brian edwards um Auden tate um for, i think yeah cordero hodges is another veteran so we got some guys that you know can maybe do a few things you know in the slot or outside that you know can take a little bit of that attention away from um Pits to where they don't have to double team in or, or key in on him, and he should be able to take that next step and um and to just be uh that leader and role model for that offense um with some of those younger guys um you know right behind him in the pass catching uh you know second yeah yeah and and obviously we know that Russell Gage departed for Tampa Bay in the offseason as well he didn't have a great year mm -hmm. for them last year but it is a wide receiver that was lost so Pitts mm -hmm. is going to have to step up. As you said, he did cross a thousand yards, just had the one touchdown. If he can up that, then I think obviously uh, his fantasy value is going to be very high. Um, that's, sure. I think, what most people outside of Atlanta will be tuning into those games for, will be kind of from the fantasy perspective. But exactly. I do think Probably that the only it, reason. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> it's okay. Every team goes through it. And I mean, mm -hmm. As we said, like Ridley being out for the year, that's going to be a tough loss for them, but might be a blessing in disguise from an overall draft perspective. Like you guys might get a better draft pick strictly because the offense is a bit more limited. Like Ridley, when he's mm -hmm. playing, he's a top 10 wide receiver in the league. And so I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing for the Falcons to be missing him if you're looking at, you know, tearing it down and, and rebuilding mm -hmm. it from the ground up. So when we talk Falcons from a betting perspective this year, We've already kind of thrown playoffs out the window. I mean, the odds on playoffs are plus 640. Nothing wrong with that. You know, mm -hmm. maybe in a couple of years, they might be back there. But the Falcons win total one was one that intrigued me because it's sitting at over under four and a half. And yeah. when I went and looked initially, they had the Atlanta as the 10th toughest schedule this year. But yeah. when I go and look at it, 
I think that there's quite a few winnable games in there for Atlanta. Now, whether or not they live up to it and, and are able to close them out, that's another story. But when we're talking about winnable games, there is quite a few for this Atlanta team it, within their own division. Yeah. They don't have a great QB in New Orleans. They don't know their QB mm-hmm. situation yet in Carolina. That might take some time. So I think realistically, there's a couple wins on the table in the division at the very least, which yes. then means the rest of the way for the remaining 11 games, you just have to pick up three more in order to hit the overs. So when I went through and I looked at Falcons winnable games, Seattle was one that I marked right away. Mm-hmm. I think Cleveland is winnable because they likely won't have Deshaun for that mm-hmm. game. So a Jacoby Brissett led team, I think is one that can be beaten. You got yeah. Chicago on the schedule. Justin Fields didn't look great last year. We'll see with under the new regime, whether or not they take the next step, Washington with Carson Wentz. And then Pittsburgh has Mitchell Trubisky. And then there's a lot of other games in there against some quality teams. So what are your thoughts on that line? Do you think the over is gettable or do you, do you see this team being more so in that three to four win range? Honestly, um, like you, know, you bringing that to my attention, I might go ahead and slot that bet in right after we get off. And that may sound like me being a homer, but I honestly think, you know, looking at some of those games and, you know, looking at the schedule, like you said, kind of some of them may play in our favor, like you said, with obviously Deshaun Watson not being there for the Browns. And it's a home game, even though we're kind of cursed at home. We don't really win at home, but <laughs> it is at least an opportunity, like you said, to, you know, face, um, you know, not their, you know, their primary quarterback. Um, even though every other part of that team, you know, there's really not many weaknesses. But like you said, it's just it's an opportunity there. Um, another one, like you said, with the Seahawks, and even within the division, like you said, Panthers and Saints. We typically, at least the last few years, have split at least one um, along amongst those, if not sweeping the Panthers at at most. Um, so I'd say, like you said, picking up at least two from that division, two from the division, and there's a few. You know that we just have to pick off three and i can see us you know possibly getting one in you know with the steelers at home like you said browns at home um seahawks as well you know on the road there's some opportunity there and like you said you never really know even with other teams in their case and scenarios like you know who may go down who may still be there later on in those later weeks we don't we don't know how the Cardinals will be looking they, they may have yeah. to you know. that, that was one that I was actually going to point out is that Cardinals one in week 17. And mm-hmm. the main reason for that is we know I talked about it yesterday because we were doing the Cardinals first six games, no D hop. So yeah. they have a tough schedule out of the gate. Carol or the Cardinals may not even be in the playoff race at that yeah. point. So exactly. I think yep. that's a gettable game late in the year at home for them. So that's one that I would kind of circle of like, they may be hovering around four wins when they get Mm -hmm. to maybe the saints or or that Cardinals game. And then they just need to pick up that victory. So this was an over that I liked. I think it's very tough in the NFL to win only four games. And I think Mariota is at least a solid enough veteran to get them a couple divisional games. Mm -hmm. They win maybe against teams like Seattle early in the year. Then they just need to pick up a couple later in the year. So I do like this win total over for the Falcons. I I thought Vegas should have had it at five and a half because then I mm-hmm. think you'd have serious That's concerns tough. of like, yeah, yeah. man, like I, they could get to six, but I think it's more likely that five is the number. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what I was thinking from a betting perspective with the Falcons. Now, from a fantasy perspective, we are a bit more limited with this team than the one that we talked <laughs> about yesterday. I mean, quarterback wise, we can almost gloss over it entirely. And it's because... Yeah. You got Mariotti's QB 31. 
or QB 30 as far as rankings go. Mm -hmm. Desmond Ritter's not the starter yet, so there's really no reason to pick him up unless you're in a two QB league. Mm -hmm. If you're in a two QB league, though, you kind of have to draft both of them. Like if you're committing to Mariota as one of your yeah. guys, you also have to get Ritter because no we just talked about the fact that we don't know whether or not he's going to be a part of uh, them for the entire year. Now, running back wise, this is where it gets interesting. So Cordero Patterson, he was kind of a fantasy darling last year because he kept scoring so many goddamn touchdowns. We talked yep. about I had him on one of my teams. And I mean, Patterson just went off. And so I was a bit surprised to see where he's at. He's running back 32 right now. His ADP is 85th. Now, if we're talking about kind of the range of where he's getting drafted, Guys that are, are before him would be Tony Pollard, Devin Singletary, and Chase Edmonds. Three backups, in my opinion. Yeah. And then just uh, ahead would be Damian Harris, Kenneth Walker, and Kareem Hunt. Two starters and then another backup there. So what are your thoughts on Patterson's fantasy value? I think it's great given where he's at right now. The fact you can get him in the seventh, eighth round, mm -hmm. probably have him as a flex running back, even if it's not necessarily on a great team. So what do you think of Patterson's value? Yeah, that's what I said. That's, a, in my opinion, it could be amazing value because like you said, you know, last year you kind of burst onto the scene. We didn't, you know, most teams obviously throughout his entire career just kind of used him punt return maybe you know i throw him in you know wide receiver here and there but arthur smith really unlocked something with them last year and you know putting him in the backfield and then moving him around you know um you know whether getting the slot or the x the y whichever the case may be you know and like you said he just was just scoring touchdowns touchdown touchdown machine you know obviously certain players um you know that's a little, little bit of weary because you know they're you know if their value is so much in touchdowns then you know, it, it may be hard to slot him in here and there, but he was picking up a lot of yards as well with those touchdowns. So um, I think that, like you said, to get him in a seventh, eighth round, I think that's, you know, amazing value and more than likely probably going to be starting for us as well. Although, be it he may get a little bit less touches from the backfield, which is, I think, also another positive because we can move him around, like I said, in, in the slot or wherever the case may be um, and, you know, play with some packages a little bit because we did get Damian here, or sorry, Damian Williams, um, and we also got, I'm um, a third, I don't, third round, fourth round back, Tyler, uh, all gear, all gear. I want to say his name is um, correct yeah. um, out of BYU. Um, that's expected to probably, you know, get a few touches as well. So you may get a little bit less touches traditionally out of the backfield, but I think that just opens up the gate for him a little bit more to, you know, get touches elsewhere. Like I said, in the slot screen passes, whatever the case may be. And like you said, I think it's a great, great value at, you know, to get him possibly in seventh or eighth round for, you know the value that he brings to that team because he's still probably our what second third best weapon at best if you want to yeah. put Pitts in London ahead of him but you know that's what I think I, I that's I, I like the value because as I said like guys that are going just before him Damian Harris mm -hmm. we don't know if he's going to get the bulk of the carries in exactly. New England again Kenneth Walker that's not a good Seattle team another <laughs> bad O line there like I think mm -hmm. Walker it's a tough situation for him coming in. And then Kareem Hunt, we saw what Nick Chubb's been doing. I don't know how much more value he's going to have in that Cleveland offense, mm -hmm. especially early on with Brissett. So I think when we're talking value-wise, Patterson has a ton of value when you can get him that late. He could be your fourth running back, and you'd be completely yep. fine with that, and you can plug him in most weeks. Now, Damian Williams, he's ADP 301, so he's mm -hmm. likely not getting drafted. But if you're yep. wanting to, you could even stash a guy like a Damian Williams in case he comes in. They use Patterson more so in the past game. And then you have Damian Williams coming and getting some TDs. 
-hmm. think there's a potential of that. So I think there is a little bit of value to be had there. Now, wide receiver wise, we've got Drake London, who we've alluded to already. Um, He's wide receiver 27. His ADP is 78th. He's in an interesting category as far as fantasy goes, because the guys that he is just behind are Adam Thielen, Juju Smith-Schuster, and then DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins obviously missing the six games is a big reason why. But he is just ahead of Rashad Bateman, the wide receiver in Baltimore. He got Gabriel Davis, who looks like he's going to be the number two, maybe number three in Buffalo, and then Devonta Smith in Philly. So what are your thoughts of Drake's fantasy value? I, I think it's it's tough to say when you've got rookie wide receiver mm-hmm. with veteran and then potentially rookie QB what his value is going to be. But as you said, he's the first wide receiver off the board. So mm-hmm. what do you think of where Drake's at? ADP 78. 78. I mean, solid, no, solid positioning, like you said. You know, him probably more likely being our number one receiver um, in a don't know what kind of offense we're finna get offense it makes sense plus um like you said i mean the last few years i mean they've been like highly stouted rookie wide receivers but you know there's a lot of rookie wide receivers that have been bursting onto the scenes obviously offensive offensively driven league so and a pass you know pass passing catching leads so it's like that's the number one thing that we're seeing out of the nfl nowadays so it's a very weird possibility that he can prove that you know he should be a little bit higher you know later on into the year but you know, fine positioning, in, in my opinion. Um, like I said, he could burst onto the scenes, or it could be a, a tough day, you know, or a tough year for him, being that we don't have a great offensive line. Like you said, rookie slash veteran quarterback um, may not know what we're going to get from him. But if it's a similar, you know, any type of similarity or similar season that he, like Pitts may have last year, even though I don't think it will be because Pitts is obviously still there. And like I said, there's a few other veterans that can – take the shine um off of him he's not going to be honed in as the number one receiver or number one um offensive threat as a whole so i feel like it'll open up a lot of things for him like i said he, he could very well have a few breakout games and like i said prove to you know next year be a little bit higher of adp um wide receiver so but 78 again think that's a, a solid spot for him and, and solid place to where you know if you're able to get a number one receiver like a little bit later on in those rounds was that like around like six or seven yeah. then that's a, a solid get in my opinion the struggle for me is that I love Patterson's ADP so much that I'm almost mm-hmm. willing to wait another round to get him. Yeah, and then yeah. when I look at London, like there's just guys there that I think are more league winners than what London is. And it's only because mm-hmm. I think some of these other guys are just in better situations. Like we know exactly. that Adam Thielen is a big tight end or a big uh, red zone target for Kirk Cousins. You got Juju with Mahomes. You got D hop with Kyler. Like Mm -hmm. some of these guys are just in really good spots. Gabriel Davis with Josh Allen. When you have those QBs that you know are going to be throwing for 4,000 plus, that's where it's tough because I'm not sure how many yards you're going to get out of Mm -hmm. a Mariota and Ritter combined. So that would be my only concern with him. But the one that surprised me the most had to be the tight end position. And Mm -hmm. it's not because I'm not high on Kyle Pitts. I just didn't realize how high a lot of websites are on Kyle Pitts Mm -hmm. because he's currently projecting at tight end three. And when you think about the tight end position, the two guys ahead of him are Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews. But the guys behind him are George Kittle and Darren Waller, two very proven tight ends that have won fantasy leagues for people in the past. So I'm a little bit confused why he's ADP 28. I feel like it's a little bit high. But that being said, we're talking about an offense where 
he is coming off a thousand yard season. If he does that again and he's getting, you know, five or more touchdowns, then we're talking about him as a potential league winner at that spot. So obviously you sounded a bit shocked with where he's at. That's where I saw him on on the site that I use. So what are your thoughts on Pitts? Like, is he worth third round draft value? Or are you hoping that he maybe slips around so you can get him closer to four? I would hope he slips around. I would think, but like I say, really, you know, it really just depends on type of leagues you win, type of people that draft him. But like, I would have put him behind possibly those, um, no, those two that, you know, he's in front of and Kittle and um, Waller being that, like you said, one, I mean, with San Francisco, we really don't know. Obviously, the, you know, the Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, fiasco stuff is still in the air. We don't know if it's going to be Trey Lance or him. You know, more than likely, eventually we're expecting them to move off of Jimmy closer to the season. But, you know, still, a, a, like you said, a proven guy, a proven tight end, and, you know, someone that has been a league winner. Same thing with Waller. Um, I think, obviously, Devontae Adams being there is probably going to help him, you know, a little bit for them to not keen in on him to be that number one threat, that number one, you know, passing pass catching tight end as well so i would have possibly like you said i would have him maybe fit six depending on some of the other tight ends um but like you said third i mean i can see why in a sense but you know we've seen kind of like this story before like you know where you know we see guys have a, a, a breakout year in a sense they come into their second year you know a little bit more prepared um maybe have another guy or two around them to where they have you know big expectations on their shoulders you know we're talking fantasy wise but I still, I think maybe fifth or sixth, in my opinion, behind those other two guys, just because they're in better situations with better quarterbacks, um, and you know, a little bit more veteran leadership, whether it's from head coaching or from, you know, you know, the, the play caller. But you know, I can see, I can see why, but I don't agree with it, just like you. Yeah, I, I think that's what's concerning me is the fact that, like, I feel like with tight end, if you're not taking this top five, quote unquote, mm-hmm. maybe top six, if you want to throw like a TJ Hawkinson in there, then you're mm-hmm. kind of getting into that wasteland territory. But I don't know if I'm prepared to go in the third round and go and get a guy like Kyle Pitts. Yeah. And it's nothing against Pitts. It's just the fact that when you're looking at players around there, like you'd be passing on Keenan Allen, on mm-hmm. T Higgins, on David Montgomery. You could wait around and you could even go and get Kittle or Waller, maybe wait one more round, go and get Hawkinson. And that's where it's tough for me. Like, unless his ADP slips by the time we get to, you know, draft season happening, because we're still about a month out, Mm -hmm. I would just have major concerns in an offense that I have so many question marks about whether I'd want to draft him as highly as he's at. And that's not a shot at Kyle Pitts. He's obviously going to be a phenomenal tight end for many years to come, but. It's just, it's a bit concerning for me. So we'll cap things off on this Falcons talk by talking about your expectations. You know, you started off the show by saying like, you know, I'm going into this season with not many expectations. So are you just going to be watching to see how the development goes for some of these guys? What are you going to be tuning into from a Falcons fan perspective? Yeah, I'm going to try my best not to allow my emotions to get involved because (laughs) yeah, like. I, that's why I've been telling myself for months, like, you know, I know it's a developmental year. It's a, it's, you know, a grow and see what pieces we have, you know, get better on the defense side, creating a whole new identity, honestly. Um, that's what DMPs, I believe, talked about you know, a few days ago, just creating a whole new identity with this defense. Like we haven't been in the top 10, but one time in the last 20 years, like I want to see, you know, certain guys that we've drafted, you know, whether it be it this year or last year, come in and, you know, change the culture on that side of the ball. I don't want to be known really as an offensive threat anymore. And really, we don't have, like I said, we don't have our corner store quarterback right now. Obviously, we, we 
got on, we took on Ritter and I think we signed him to a four-year deal, but we don't know questions around him, questions around a lot of guys on the offensive end. So honestly, just expecting, hoping for just competitiveness. I don't want to see games where we're getting blown out 40 to six by Dallas. That's not something I'm in the business of seeing. Um, but again, like I said, just trying to take my emotions out of it and just watch, you know, from a developmental scout type way and just seeing what certain guys are bringing to the table, what uh, improvements they've made and, you know, just how we're gelling as a team overall, to be honest. Like, I don't really care about the win totals. Just want to see us compete, like yeah. I said, and, and build to be a better team. Like I said, within, you know, next few years, maybe we're back it, in those stages where we were in 2011 to 2014 and then 2016 to 2017, 18 range, like where we're competing and making the playoffs. So it's so all really I'm expecting from them and hoping, you know, that they bring to the table this year. Yeah, I th I think that's the key. You you touched on it was competitiveness. Like you may only win four, five, six games this year, but in those, you know, however many losses will it'll end up being, how competitive do you look in those games? Because no mm -hmm. one's seeing any growth if it's 40 to 6 as you said. Mm -hmm. If you're losing games 21-17, it's something to build off of and yeah. it's something that you can as you said, start to build the culture more more well-rounded team. Um, Atlanta for a long time was more offensive centric, mm -hmm. and we'll see if they can can kind of uh, wind it out with a more complete roster. But Jelani, this was a ton of fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You're always a great guest, and so promote yourself, promote your work. What have you got going on? Of course, of course, appreciate it as always. Like I said, um, love being on the show. Definitely got to get you back on with the game means to me as well with me and Thad. And um, I'm sure we will this upcoming year, um, you know, football season right around the corner. But um, of course, like I said, my name is Jelani Brown. I do a podcast with uh, my co-host, Thaddeus Bell, called What the Game Means to Me. You can find us on uh, Twitter at WTGMTM Podcast and Instagram and Facebook at What the Game Means to Me as well. Um, by the time this comes out, um you'll probably have to go back and check it but me and that are doing a show tonight with uh, one of our old teammates and um conference uh usa um com oh sorry not conference usa but c usa which is conference usa he was uh, all conference last year and he um, was also on the watch list for the wolford trophy um award which is a uh, basically doing a lot of good things in your community. His name is Jordan Ferguson, goes to Middle Tennessee State University. So um, by the time you guys hear this, you can go check that out um, on our page. And um, yeah, appreciate it as always, Kenneth, and uh, looking forward to more shows this upcoming year. For sure. Definitely appreciate you coming on the show and appreciate everyone who tunes into our show every single day. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. We'll be talking Baltimore Ravens tomorrow as we do our 32 teams in 32 days. And appreciate Jelani once again for coming on the show. And we will see you guys tomorrow for the Daily Competitive Hedge podcast.